Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to Harbor for the Arts Podcast. I am so excited to have you here. This is where the performing and creative arts meets lifestyle. The mission of this podcast is to enhance, inspire, educate, and entertain all listeners about the performing and creative arts. I hope the conversations that I have with today's trailblazers in the performing and creative arts space inspire you to do more with the platform that you have. I am so excited that our partner for today's episode is Thrive Market. Thrive Market is on a mission to make healthy living accessible and affordable for everyone. Thrive is an online marketplace that offers all of the non-GMO, organic, gluten-free, and vegan foods, healthy products, that you love at 25 to 50% below retail price and all shipped right to your front door. For every paid membership Thrive receives, they provide a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or veteran. Please visit thrivemarket.com backslash Bree Cooper. That's B-R-I Cooper. I am so excited to speak with him, I just I, I just want you to learn more about who he who he is. Edwin Davis is a proud native of Utica, Mississippi. He is an alumnus of Jackson State University, where he earned his Bachelor of Science in Biology, pre-medicine, with a dual minor, or two dual minors, in chemistry and music. While at Jackson State, he studied voice under the tutelage of soprano Phyllis Lewis-Hale. With her patient selflessness and dedicated instruction, he participated in a number of vocal competitions at the state and national levels, claiming the first prize at each. I mean, that's if you guys don't know, if you're just kind of getting into um, classical music. In the spring of 2014, he made his professional debut with the Mississippi Opera Company in Puccini's Gianni Schicchi. Now, I will stop there real quick because if you were just now kind of getting into opera, trying to figure what, what it's about, Gianni Schicchi is a really great one to listen to or to go see. If you're looking for, well, what opera should I see? If anyone's doing a Johnny Skeeky or if you find one online, it's a great production. It's a fun storyline. The music is great. And there is an aria that I know that you've heard because it's in so many movies, O Mio Bapi No Cado. So that is from the opera Johnny Skeeky. So if you say, oh, I've never heard of Johnny Skeeky, actually you have because I'm sure you've heard that aria. Anyway. Back to Mr. Davis. He is a master's degree recipient of the prestigious Manhattan School of Music, where he studied with well-acclaimed baritone Mark Oswald and has participated in a number of professional and academic engagements in the concert and opera repertoire. He's also really committed to to his community, which I think is so amazing, and also through his work and through activism as well as advocacy, aiding in educational prevention to decrease the likelihood of HIV-AIDS infections and other health disparities in young people of color, with which he has been to continue his educational endeavors in biological health sciences and technology. He has recently won the the Eastern Regional title for the Marian Anderson Vocal Competition and will be participating in the Nationals. By the time you've heard this, he's already done that. Okay, so we'll catch up with him. 
But I'm proud to have uh, Mr. Davis on the on the program. Mr. Davis, Hi. how are you? Hi. Great, great. Thank you so much for joining our program today. I'm really excited to to talk to you today about your career. Tell me a little bit more. How did you get started? And is there anything else that I missed that you'd like to share uh, in your bio? Because it's quite extensive, and I love the fact, and I think it's so important that that our listeners get to hear everything that you've done as far as not only in music, but in, in the field of science and chemistry and what it's going to do for the advancement of especially young people of color um, and and how you built such a, a great advocacy around that. So do you want to share a little bit more? I did end up win, winning the um, national title at the Marion Anderson Vocal Arts Competition. Excellent. Um, hosted by NAM, which is also an amazing organization for African-American musicians. It's, it's called NAM, but uh, the the acronym stands for National Association of Negro Musicians. So mm-hmm. it is a coalition of musicians of color, particularly African-American. Each year have a competition where they award thousands of dollars to uh young, promising musicians, and they alternate categories. So one year they'll do voice, then they'll do organ and piano, they'll do woodwinds and strings. Um, Hmm. So everybody, you know, everybody gets an opportunity to showcase their talent, Um, Mm -hmm. no matter what what sect of music they're in. Um, So that was firstly... That was an honor, to say the least, because I got to compete their centennial year. You know, winning the national title was, it's still unbelievable to me just because, you know, when it happened, it was kind of like a blur to me. Like, did this really occur, you know? And then here we are a year later and we're in a pandemic and it's like, oh, (laughs) so a lot of... um, the things that would have like been going on with my involvement uh, have been kind of put on hold, but there have been some extremely, extremely prominent and very well-known musicians who have come through NAM and winning that mm-hmm. competition. And, you know, names that we all know, Marian Anderson, yeah. Grace Bunbury, Shirley Barrett, uh, and then pianists like Mr. Joseph Joubert, mm-hmm. Who is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many people that I had no idea had come through, you know, in the ranks of NAM that I learned yeah. about when I did the competition. And they have helped to foster the careers of so many well known and well respected black musicians over the past 100 years. And I just mm-hmm. I think that it's absolutely amazing what they're doing and what they have been committed to and what they continue to commit themselves to. And I'm also now a proud member of the organization. So I look forward to helping create the path for so many more musicians to come. Yeah, that's, I think that's really important. That's very important. I have a question for you regarding um, where you see opera right now as far as the uh, equality 
uh, for POC, for people with disabilities, for, um, you know, where do you see that right now as far as just kind of the advancement and making sure that, um, you know, people of color have a voice as well as representation with the opera companies? Because for so long, I mean, when I was coming up, um, there were only, you know, for some reason there was always those one or two African-American females or males, um, but you wouldn't mm-hmm. see them throughout the season. You'd see them when they had a porgy and bass. You'd see them, which is mm-hmm. nothing's wrong with Oregon Best, by the way. That's how I got my first professional job. Um, but, you know, it becomes hard when uh, all of us study the same music. But yet, yeah. when it comes to breaking through to getting some of these opera jobs, a lot of times what happens is that they'll call us when there's someone for, you know, a character of a person of color instead of, okay, let's let's do, you know, we're going to do Puccini or the Johnny Skeeky. Um, and there always comes a time in everyone's career, especially if you're a bit, a lot of my audience probably doesn't know this, but if you're a singer of color, especially African-American, um, with my career, there came a point where I got the experience that I needed as far as professional, being on tour, what that was like. Um, and that's important. That's like a uh, so much, so much experience just from doing poor game passes. Um And I Absolutely. always know that that's something that I'll be able to do. So I never want to downgrade it at all because it's something that's very important. All singers, if you're a color, you should be doing that. Um, but at the same time, it comes to a point where you have to say, you know what, I, I, I deserve more roles. And mm-hmm. that's, what I decided to do, I was just like, I'm not going to take another Porgy and Bess. I'm not going to take another Showboat. I'm not going to take, you know, until I can see some traction with different genres of opera that I know that I've been trained, that my parents paid for my education to be able to sing, you know. Right. And where do you think that that stands now? Because you've been able to be very successful with that. But as far as other singers, um, and where the opera companies are now, I mean, there's so much more that needs to be done. Um, what do you think, like, as you're there, like you just finished with Portland Opera, what do you think your responsibility is while you're at that opera company to make sure that they're holding up their, not not just Portland Opera, I want to make sure everybody understands. If anyone's Portland Opera is listening, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about just in general, um, how everyone's holding themselves accountable, especially if you're the singer of singer of color, because the other part is, you don't want to be the person that kind of gets hammered or seen as, oh, well, they're so difficult to work with because you want to speak up for rights. So this is, people don't understand what a fine line it is to play um, when you're part of, when you're in the African-American community and you're a classical singer and you're not singing a traditional black role. And then you end up being the only singer of color in the company mm-hmm. for, you know, for that performance or for that show. Absolutely. I have to applaud Portland Opera. Um, not just for the opportunity, but for the fact that they gave me and the rest of my colleagues so much free reign over the programming of our recitals, which ended up being the highlight of the season because of the fact that that the restrictions were so uh, strict in the state of Oregon that we had been we we had been on lockdown for practically the entire residency, so. Uh, I got there in October, and by the time the top of November came, we had been um, we had been put under lockdown uh, again. 
so that automatically cancels the productions that we were originally contracted to participate in. So eventually, because the lockdown lasted for so long, um, the focus kind of left from preparing for those productions to solely focusing on what we wanted to do and how we wanted to present ourselves in our solo recitals. So uh, that being said, we had a uh, we put in a request for an African American music class specifically for us as black singers, um, and we had a teacher, amazing curator uh, by the name of Joe Williams, who is a native of the Tacoma, Washington area. And, um, you know, he had been mentored by one of the amazing uh, trailblazers in classical music, Mr. George Walker. Um, And obviously, while under that tutelage, he gained a lot of knowledge of a lot of unsung African-American repertoire. And so he brought his knowledge to us, and all of us kind of just shared with one another, brainstormed and created uh, an experience out of the recitals that we chose to put on this past spring. And I, I firstly would love to acknowledge the fact that that was something that not a lot of people um, had done before. You know, I know that over the past year, because of the political climate and the social justice climate that we've been in, a lot of companies have tried to come forward with proclaiming uh, their stance with the black community, particularly due to the uh, constant and ongoing fight of police brutality against black bodies. But I think that other companies also did that with also keeping whatever they originally had in plan in mind. So Portland Opera decided instead of us trying to, you know, say that we're standing with the black community and against, um, you know, against the guise of uh, white supremacy as well as um, against police brutality against black bodies, we're going to allow black artists to tell their stories and not just say that we're going to do something and then we actually do what we want to do all along. So I I definitely have to give massive appreciation for that because I was able to curate my own recital experience um, of which to share with my audience and, and with whomever, you know, chose to participate. And I chose a program of two living black composers, uh, Mr. Dave Ragland and Dr. Uh, Marcus L.A. Garrett, both of which are now very, you know, they've gained a lot of traction over the past year, kind of due to the same thing. And it was important to me to do that because, you know, we oftentimes as opera singers particularly get caught up with the canon. And by the canon, you know, I I refer to all of the kind of the music that we've deemed as standards 
um, over the past, you know, century or so. And we we forget the fact that there are other musicians who are alive, who we actually have access to, um, who we can work with on presenting mm-hmm. their music. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, fight so, we fight so hard to keep the other music alive that we oftentimes, like, forget the fact that there are people alive making music that is just as great as the music from a century ago. Let me ask you this. Why do you think, um, like, I love that story because it seems like Portland Opera has also done the work. And doing the work means it's not only like you're talking to talk, like, oh, we do this. We're listening to people. You're walking the walk because you're saying, and this is something that a lot of companies have had a difficult time doing, is um, saying, you know what? Guess what? We want to show that we're li- we want to you to know that we're listening to you. What do you want? You can tell us better. What do you think? And I love that because that is a lot of responsibility in itself to kind of give up, but it also validates. And people don't realize how how like that's the first thing I look for. How some like if you're in an all white setting, how those that company is validating the people of color in the organization. So for them to say, you know what? Okay. Instead of saying, oh well, here here the composers we think you should sing, we want you to sing mm-hmm. of color. Right. You guys were able to say, you know what? Um, we would love to sing this, this, and this. And they're like, okay, that's great. And I would love to start seeing more African American composers presented in mainstream recitals by right. sung by not just African Americans. I mean, we sing Mozart. <laughs> I'm black. You know what I mean? Like, we're required to sing that to get a degree in Mm -hmm. music. You have to know your Mozart. You have to know your Puccini. You have to know your your oldest chanson and all that. But, (laughs) you know, why why is it that we can't, like, all singer, all classical singers in colleges cannot put these, the repertoire of classical African-American composers into mainstream repertoire of what all singers need to know. And I think that's important. I think that's just as important. Um, okay, so sorry to to, <laughs> to talk about that, like, to, you know, deviate from, from, no, from what we were... No, it, it does not deviate at all. And I, I would like to say, to add to what you said, the reason why that is, is simply because a lot of these uh, professors do not know they they have no knowledge of the um of of the library of that's powerful non stop powerful engaging heart wrenching and absolutely enthralling black composed melodies mm-hmm. you know a lot of this stuff is still new to me as a black artist. But it's it's no different than us learning white history and European history in school and being taught black history as an elective. It's literally no different. It is the exact same thing. We have to do more work to get access to things that are native, technically, to Mm -hmm. us as a people and our culture. So true. So true. 
All right. Well, you know what? I hate to um, sort of bring this interview to a close, but everyone, I hope you really enjoy learning a little bit more about Mr. Davis. You can, well, why don't you tell them, where can they find you on social media? What is your website? Um, Do you have any performances coming up? So um, because of COVID, a lot of my performances were postponed. But there will be things coming in the queue this summer. Um, so you can find me right now easiest on my social media handle at Dr. Jesus. That is D R underscore J H A E underscore Z U H H S V. It's a lot. Great. But, um, no, that's my awesome. uh, my website is under construction at the moment, and it will be going live this fall. So I'll have to keep you updated with that. But yes. Mhm. And uh, I want to remind everyone that um, we are going to do a second part of this interview because there's so much more that I want to talk to Edwin about um, regarding his scientific background, um, his advocacy in his community, um, the importance of his advocacy. So you can go to my Instagram page, which is Harbor for the Arts, and then you can also go to Bree Cooper Soprano on Instagram. You can also follow that same handle on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, But we're going to do another interview, a live interview, so that's going to be a lot of fun. That should be coming at some point soon, like this week, I'm hoping, if we can get our schedules together. Um, So thank you so, so much for being part of this. Thank you to Black Market for being so supportive and always sponsoring and, and showing your love for the arts, the classical arts, teachers, veterans, and, um, you know, making me part of the Thrive family. So I'm really happy about that. Don't forget to use my code, Bree Cooper, uh, when you go to www.thrivemarket.com slash or forward slash Bree Cooper. 